Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Let's go! Let's go! Brought to you by P4P Muscle Productions and Entertainment. The number one drug-free athlete sponsorship foundation in the world. Now, I want you to grab a friend, turn the volume up a bit, lean in, and listen to the show where all the athletes want to talk. Fit Talk with Melinda Corsino. Hello, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to Fit Talk with Melinda Corsino, also Melinda Spencer, for those of you that have seen my Facebook and wondering why my name has changed. I just got married, so I still go by both. Um, So thank you guys for tuning in tonight. We have an awesome show lined up for you. And as always, the show is brought to you by P4P Muscle, the number one drug-free sponsorship in the world. If you're interested in a drug-free lifestyle or being a drug-free athlete, uh, look for the best supplements on the planet that represent the drug-free lifestyle. Check out P4P Muscle at P4PMuscle.com. And if you go on there and see anything you like and want to try, you can always use my code MELINDA, M-E-L-I-N-D-A, for 15% off all of your products. So tonight we have a special show that I'm very excited about, especially because uh, there's a lot of natural bodybuilding shows coming up, and I feel like body image uh, is a very important subject to go over for both females and males out there, Um, even not related to bodybuilding itself, but just in in life with social media and constant scrutiny of our own body. So I'm very excited. Um, I have both Ann Fourier and Cindy Springford here. Uh, They are owners of the Love Your Body Project. Their website is loveyourbodyproject.org, so you can certainly go ahead and check that out while you're listening in tonight or in the future. And I'm going to go ahead and turn it over to them, and Cindy's going to start us off, and they're going to introduce themselves and give us a little background on their business. Thank you, Melinda. My name is Cindy Springford. I'm the founder of the Love Your Body Project Coaching and Consulting. I have worked in the fitness industry as an ACE and ACA certified personal trainer since 1994, and I had a very powerful transformation in terms of my own issues with body image and disordered eating about three years ago. And that prompted me to start a Facebook community, Love Your Body Project, Peace, Love, and Food. From there, that kind of got a lot of attention. It got bigger. And I partnered up with Anne, who I've known from the fitness industry for about 20 years. And she and I decided to join forces and start our own coaching and consulting business so that we could help others the way that we helped ourselves heal our relationship with food and body image. So we do individual coaching via phone or Skype. And we also do on-site seminars and workshops. Great, and thank you. Anne, do you want to add anything to that? Uh, no, Cindy's covered it uh, quite nicely, and I just come into the picture with a little bit of different experience, and that's why we complement each other. So I have a BS in exercise science from Plymouth State, and I've been working in the fitness industry for 30 years, and Cindy and I met about 20 years ago, like she said, 
um, and group exercise and worked together for about 10 years and have just reconnected recently because we've both um, just seen a lot of the media and the kids starting to diet and issues with body image and decided to try to fill the gap a little bit. Absolutely. So I'm, I'm excited about this show for many reasons. Uh, I mentioned bodybuilding shows coming up and a lot of competitors, you know, getting ready, seeing their body super lean and they're going to have to reverse diet after. And also I have a stepson that's in middle school and you mentioned children dieting and I'm seeing it with his friends now, just uh, super hard on themselves. So I'm excited to kind of reach all points with you guys tonight. You guys have a great background. So I'm excited to have very knowledgeable people on the show to touch on all these subjects. So I want to go ahead and start with the subject of eating disorders. And you uh, both mentioned, you know, relationships with food and, and issues in the past. So do you guys want to both speak on um, issue your personal relationship with food and issues that you had that led you to where you are right now? Anne, how about you go first with this one? Uh, I was diagnosed with anorexia at 11 years old. So this was in the 70s when really anorexia nervosa and bulimia were not really in the public eye at all. My parents had no idea where where to turn or what to do. Um, Luckily, they found a good counselor for me, and I fought it for a few years, and it was ultimately team sports and soccer that pulled me out of it, saying, you know, you have to keep a certain weight if you want to play. and that's kind of what pulled me from this uh, place of not sitting in, not being good enough, uh, not being thin enough, that kind of culture even in my brain in the 70s into joining a team sport and being part of something. So since then, I kind of filtered right into fitness and worked in the, and had been working in the fitness industry for 30-plus years. So now it's a little bit more about coming back to the roots and going back to play and fun and enjoyment versus how many calories am I going to burn running today or how many calories do I need to burn because I ate such and such last night. So there's a little switch that I've made from the exercise addiction piece to uh, eating and moving for joy and health. So that kind of gives you a little background about my own eating history. Cindy, you want to go ahead? Absolutely. Sure. So my situation is a little bit different than Anne's. I actually, when I was a young child, I had um, sustained some sexual abuse when I was about six or seven. And when I was about 11 years old, I started developing early. I got my period. And I remember getting weighed in at the school nurse and hearing from her or from my mother, one of them, that I was a little heavier than my peers. And this seemed to be a source of concern because I lived with a militant weight watcher. My mother lived and died by the number she saw on the scale. So I learned how to hate my body and I learned how to diet from my mom. And this would go on in my teens until my early 20s. I discovered exercise after I quit smoking and that became my method to burn, to earn. So I would try to move my body two, three, sometimes four hours a day so I had the right to feed myself. So I didn't really have a clinical disorder, eating disorder, as far as what's in the DSM, but I definitely had disordered eating. I was definitely a chronic yo-yo dieter. I was definitely 
at war with my body. I would gain five or ten pounds. I hated it. I would lose five or ten pounds. I hated it. I kept raising the bar and raising the bar. And it got to the point where after 25 years of this, I just crashed and burned when I turned 40. And I decided there had to be more to life. I had to just grow up and figure out how I was going to make the most out of who I was and how I was going to really fulfill my purpose on this planet because there had to be more to life than just counting calories and logging exercise minutes. And I ended up taking a break from all forms of exercise for a while. I had been running marathons for about four years, and I stopped running. I stopped doing a lot of structured exercise, and I just read a bunch of books in the year of 2012, and I just got my mind right and decided it was time to figure out how to heal my relationship with food because it had haunted me for a really long time. So I took that time, and then I was able to take what I learned to help others. And I'm happy to say that at the age of 43, I'm in the best space, head space, heart space, body space that I've ever been in. So I'm thrilled to be talking about this to you because it's so important, and we need to really help others realize that there's so much more to life than just discussing about your weight. I think um, one common thing that you both talked about is the sort of thoughts in your head or eating disorders uh, starting when you were in your teens. So how do you feel now? Because obviously when you were teenagers, it was a little bit different. Now these teens are being pounded by social media constantly. How do you feel that stress is for teenagers now? Um, and what do you recommend if you're you know, a parent or a teenager listening in that is is thinking the way you guys were and how to go about getting help or getting help for your child. What are you thinking? You want to start with this and then I'll go in after you? Sure. It is so hard right now because the media is so much stronger than it was when when we were kids. I'm a little bit older than Cindy, but it, it's um, they're pounded by images and diets and exercise modules, and this is this is the next thing that's going to make you look this way and it's really really hard because kids don't understand you know that they have genetic components to deal with they don't always understand the photoshop and the airbrushing that's going on they don't understand what their body is actually telling them that yes i am physically hungry or uh, their need for fuel so it's very very difficult for them to deal with what's going on Um, and the only way we can counter that is by educating them Uh, we can't shut them and we can try to shut them down for media, but that's just not really all that feasible. So we have to educate them on um, some of these these topics, on what dieting does to our body, on how their genetics are different and how they're going to be different from their friends. It's just very interesting that, you know, out of a group of maybe eight girls that go on a diet, one or two of them are going to come out with an eating disorder and um, the others will be fine but they'll only be fine for a little while until they go on their next diet. So we just have to really start to put out some education for not only only students in the classroom, but also to parents, you know, some sort of support groups for any parents that are fighting with their with their students or their kids with um, eating disorders. So it's, it's really about education and trying to get the prevention aspect out there because without that, um, it's just it's like a big hole that that everybody's going to get sucked down into. Mm. Well said, partner. Mm. Yeah, I'm looking. Do you at want to add anything over here? Yeah, I think I do. I'm looking at some statistics from the National Association of Anorexia Nervosa and Associated Disorders. So, 
the numbers are always pretty sobering. And although we always try to say, you know, don't live your life by the numbers because you can't limit yourself to a number, you're more than a number. But these kind of numbers I think are important because I think we need to realize the level of epidemic proportions that eating disorders and body and its challenges are having on our culture. So according to these statistics, 86% report an onset of an eating disorder by age 20. 43% report an onset between the ages of 16 and 20. 95% of those who have eating disorders are between the ages of 12 and 25. So that is completely in line with what Anne's talking about when she was 11 and she started having those issues. 95% of all dieters will regain their lost weight within five years. 35% of normal dieters progress to pathological dieting. 47% of girls in 5th to 12th grade reported wanting to lose weight because of magazine pictures. Yep. So you hear these statistics and you realize that there is a huge problem and obviously it's, it's cultural because we're such a visual creature and there's so much information out there and we are so completely overstimulated by technology and yes with the advent of social media you have people on Instagram and you've got all kinds of things going on on Facebook and I believe I heard just this week there's this woman who had all these followers on Instagram that basically said that her life was kind of a sham I, I could be paraphrasing here but there was some story about some person who had all these followers and she had this great body this great life and she actually shut her social media down because she just couldn't handle it. So the mm. culture dictates that we manipulate our bodies, that we manipulate our eating habits, that we do everything that we can do in order to gain acceptance and approval. And unfortunately, our young ones are so easily influenced by what they see and what they hear. It's so important that they have strong, stable role models to help steer them in the right direction. Because I can tell you this, my mother did the best she could with what she knew, but she did not steer me in the right direction. So now it was like, okay, are we going to be proactive and work with these young girls, teens, tweens, early you know, 20s, late teens, or are we going to be reactive? I see women for coaching in my office all the time that are in their 50s and 60s that are in tears about a hurtful comment that a family member said to them about their body when they were 12. They've been yeah. carrying this wounding around for so long. So I think that's why what Anne was saying is that we need to really have some sort of an intervention and get them while they're young because if we don't get them while they're young, they're going to grow up thinking that this is what they have to do and this is the ideal that they have to aspire to. And it's just going to lead to a lot of disappointment. And sometimes it's going to lead to an eating disorder. And that's mm. not acceptable. It's not acceptable. Right. I think I, I know when I was in high school, just in time, and we didn't have Facebook yet. We had the Internet, but, I mean, nothing like it is now for kids. And I started counting my calories. I think when I was 16, I would write down everything I ate calories in versus my exercise calories out and I didn't really know what I was doing I'll be honest but even then and that was probably at 16 with very little social media influence but I was mm. still concerned about how I looked and I have carried that and I, I don't 
I don't have an eating disorder. I wouldn't consider myself to have an eating disorder. I just, I'm very regimented and track what I eat. But I've done that since I was 16, and that is actually a habit that I cannot break. Even when I'm on vacations and I'm in my off-season from competing, I write down every single thing I put in my mouth, even if I'm on vacation, even if I'm on a cruise, even if I'm at Thanksgiving. Everything I eat, I have to write it down. And it's not a bad thing, but it's very tough to break a habit and even a habit such as that. So people dealing with, you know, what you guys have dealt with, I, I can't even imagine the stress and, and how it would feel to, to break a habit like that. Um, and I think going on from what we were talking about with children, now switching to maybe athletes because you guys have both mentioned athletics, running marathons, playing soccer. Um, as far as athletics go, and let's just go into bodybuilding, um, I'm sure you guys have seen clients that have had a very tough time seeing their body super lean on stage to then reverse dieting and saying, oh, my God, well, I need to be lean all year round. And it's I've gone through it. It's tough to see yourself. So what advice do you have for, for athletes or, or bodybuilders that are going through those body image issues? You want to go first, Dan? Did you actually um, prepare sure. for one of these? Yeah, I, uh, I competed back in the 80s for a few shows in bodybuilding and it's very, very difficult because there's a there's a couple pieces. There's the subjective and objective thing and Cindy, I'm gonna let you handle that piece. Um but during the competition diet phase you're constantly being told how great you look, how fantastic you look. There's this there's this building of confidence, there's this validation of how hard you're working. Because it is hard, it's not easy. Uh and then get on stage and you do well or you don't do well, depending on what the judges are looking for, and then it's over. And then all of a sudden, you are at this weight that's not necessarily healthy to sustain. You drink water and you look different. Um, There's confusion, uh, irritability. All of a sudden, you're not looking the same, and your body is saying, I need to eat, I need some food, I need fuel, my brain is tired. Um and you don't look the way you looked. So there's this sense of a feeling of failure. And I don't know if Melinda, if you've gone through that, but it's very, very hard to all of a sudden look a different way when people were telling you you looked great one way and now you don't. So there's, I think for, for bodybuilding competitors, if they know going in that this is a short-lived period of time that they're competing for a specific reason, to look a specific way, um, to hope for the best for for what the judges are looking for, but to realize that that's not um, a healthy way to sustain their life because their body is going to fight them tooth and nail as to how they feel. Um, and that's kind of, I think, that just having that knowledge going in and knowing that their body is going to come back to some sort of a normalcy afterwards. And then that's where they have to figure out what is normal for them and what, what they can live on, what they can feel, how they feel their body and how they can still get good workouts but not be depriving themselves. That's the edge and not feel bad about themselves. Mm-hmm. I agree. I think I have never trained for a bodybuilding show, but I have coached some of my friends who were prepping for shows and the flurry of emotions and the 
roller coaster ride that they were going on, both before and after, I was talking to a girl that I worked with as a trainer, and she told me that she was in prep in the last four weeks of her prep. She was in her car, and all of a sudden she was besieged by panic because she forgot how to get home. She was so malnourished, and she was so calorie-restricted at the stage, she forgot how to get home. So this is what the issue can be is if you don't either have a good coach or you're not starting with a proper amount of energy balance, you are at the point where you are doing your cardio twice a day sometimes, depending on what your regimen is that your coach has you on, you could be basically taking in 800 to 1,000 calories, but you're burning close to that same amount. So you can't think, you can't process, your cognitive processes aren't working. And then, like Ann so wonderfully said, that afterwards, once it's over, there's this huge letdown because here I am, I'm getting all this adulation, I'm getting all this praise, I'm getting all this attention. And then, as things always do, it dies down and people forget, you know, People stop paying you compliments. You hear a lot the night of the show and you have the medal and you're all excited. And then a couple of days goes by and it's not as much. And then you do your rebound and you're eating like a normal person. And then you have that, oh, my gosh, I need to have that attention again. I need to get that, that high back again. And if that is mm. what you define yourself as, that can be very damaging. And the thing about bodybuilding that just concerns me a bit as opposed to, say, a marathon, even though a marathon is extreme, For a marathon, you start at point A, you get to point B, and you are judged based on how long it takes you to get from point A to point B. In a bodybuilding show, it's kind of subjective. Yes, there are some guidelines. They're looking for symmetry here. They're looking for definition there. But you're at the mercy of judges. So you don't know how legit they are. You don't know whether they're going to like you or they're not going to like you. So that could be very damaging, if you, especially if you have low self-confidence or if your self-esteem is a little shaky. You're putting yourself out there in front of these people and you have no idea whether you're going to meet their specific criteria. So it's a very slippery slope. I'm not saying that you can't do it in a healthy way and I'm not saying that people shouldn't do it at all. All I'm saying is you have to be in a really good headspace take that on because there's a lot associated with that and it could really be damaging in the long run. So that's a tough one. It it is, I'll say it from my point of view, having competed recently and for the past couple of years, and I want to preface this with saying that I have had a great experience in bodybuilding and this is nothing against that. It has led me to amazing places. So I'm not saying people shouldn't do it. I still do it. Um, But it has led me, left me feeling, and there's, most every show but my last show I have placed in the top four, okay? And so I placed, so I did, I did well. I came home with a trophy. I put the work in, and, and it worked out well for me. But uh, even so, you leave with feeling like, well, why didn't I come in first? Is she better than me? Was she leaner than me? Is it because she's smaller than me? Is Am I inadequate? What, what Maybe if I didn't eat this or if I didn't do that, I would have come in first. Mm. But it, it, like yeah. you said, it is subjective. And even going into a show and let's say you didn't place, where you put in all that hard work and dieting and then you don't place at all. And then it's like, yeah. well, what, is she better? You, you know what I mean? But it's, it's such a subjective sport. It could be her posing. It could be her presentation. It could be so many factors. But it mm-hmm. is a very, it's a huge, it's a huge head game. And even yeah. for me, it's a huge, and going into, and this is going to be my, 
last show that I do for a little bit, I need a break mentally and physically for myself. But going into this last show that I'm doing, I have been a mental case. And I have a great coach, and I, we do things healthy, and I, and I feel good, but um, it's, it's hard for me, and it's getting harder. And I see it affecting some of my friends as well, so I think you guys brought up some great points with that. Um, and it is That's definitely really have to be... Yeah, it's, and if um, if you have struggled with an eating disorder, I have a friend that actually struggled with an eating disorder for a little bit and was thinking about doing a show, and I was like, probably not a good idea because mm-hmm. it's going to make it even worse. It's going to make it's yeah. going to inflame everything, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so kind of uh, going on from that, let's uh, let's switch gears to your business. Let's talk about your business for a little. So you did a quick introduction. Um, mm-hmm. But why don't you guys kind of dive into what you do on a daily basis with your with your Love Your Body project? Okay, so I guess I'll go first, Dan, and then you can kind of okay. fill in the gap mm-hmm. whatever I might mention. So we provide individual coaching via phone or Skype, and we also do on-site visits for workshops and seminars. So if someone wants to invite us to talk about body image, or someone wants to invite us to talk about how to heal your relationship with food, or I, Anne and I have discovered that there's three components that seem to be really hot buttons for people. Relationship with food, relationship with movement, exercise, and body image. Mm. So those three topics tend to get a lot of requests for, we need to talk about this, we need to educate ourselves about that, because, again, the culture is how the culture is. So there's a lot of misinformation out there. There's a lot of nutritional confusion out there. So we are really excited about going places and educating people and sharing our experiences in the hopes that it will kind of help them be the change that they wish to see because that's kind of what we're working on doing. And I also, I neglected to mention this in the open, but I'm also a certified eating psychology coach and I received my training through the Institute for the Psychology of Eating in Boulder, Colorado. So the main premise of that work is what we eat is only half the story. It's who we are as eaters. So the work that I do with clients is pretty deep. We explore all kinds of areas. We explore issues with work. We explore family of origin. We explore dieting history. We explore life goals. We explore all kinds of things. And the food almost takes a back seat because it's really always, almost always not about what you're eating. It's about what's eating you. So it's a great way to kind of help someone heal because you're dealing with the real cause. I think the, the effect is the weight, the effect is the food, the effect is the perfectionism, but the real cause is what's going on, what's driving that behavior. So that's what we really are trying to do. Do you want to take it from there, Anne? Yeah, I think that so many women today um, in all the aspects of life are spending so much time thinking about what they're eating um, how much they're exercising or how much they're not exercising, depending on where they are on the scale. And there's so much thought revolved around that that there's all that's taking up their brain where really we want to put that on the back burner and we want to fuel our bodies and move our bodies, but we want to be doing what we were kind of put on this earth to do, which is lots of other things, depending on who you are, you know, whether it's being artists or music or, or teaching others or um, caring for others. There's just so many other things that we could be putting our mind and our brain into and we're always thinking about, oh, um, uh, what should I eat for lunch today? And you look on a menu and you say, I should eat this, I should eat that, this is the good food for me, this is this is what I should eat versus what does my body feel like, what do I need today? 
And so, so Cindy and I have really talked about, you know, trying to tap into our natural hunger and fullness cues and listening to our bodies more and moving when we want to move, not because we have to move because we ate something too much the night before. So we're trying to really kind of fill the gap between, you know, the the full-on eating disorder and just disordered eating. There's no real place for people that have some, some, you know, different issues with food and are having trouble with food and, and exercise. Either go to a uh, treatment center and get professional help or you just pretend there's nothing going on or, you know, something something on that end. And we're here in the middle to try to help you along that spectrum. Um, what are some places that you, other than yourself, um, well, here, let's backtrack. Sorry, let me switch my thought a little bit. What are some signs um, for people that are listening, uh, signs of for themselves or signs that they're noticing in their children um, that may they may be thinking, like, I may have an eating disorder or my child is having these, uh, noticing these trends in, in her eating or trends in what she's doing, I might need to seek help. What are certain, like, warning signs that, that you're, that you guys see all the time with your clients? Well, and you can probably take this because uh, you actually live them too, right? Yeah. Well, I think for for children, I'll go in that in that realm. Um, anytime you a child comes home and is, wants to maybe try a different type of diet, there's so many different food plans out there now: paleo and vegetarian and um, gluten free or dairy free or or whatnot. And if if they come home and they say they want to try something that's just a, you know, it's a mild light of saying, okay, well, what's going on? Um, if you find a, a child thinking about calories, um, scoping out diets or exercise programs or spending more time exercising, uh, spending more time in the grocery store as they wander through or cooking for family but not necessarily eating, there's little things that you can kind of look for, but you want to be aware of, of their body size. They will be very, um, someone who's going into a, a, a bulimic or anorexic state will be very uh, secretive and they might be withdrawing or pulling back, almost like a depressive kind of uh, thing. They might wear big clothes. So there's a lot of different little signs like that that you can keep an eye out for. Um, friends in a pack that are all dieting together. Um, you know, there's so many little things. So watching what your what your child is eating, um, how they're moving, what their thoughts are around exercise, if they're withdrawing, if they're exercising more, there's warning signs that way. Those are things to kind of take a look at. Um, Cindy, you want to take kind of what to look for in yourself? Yeah, so if I, because I usually deal mostly with chronic dieters and disordered eaters because that is what I most closely identify with. So a lot of the things that I see is people stepping on the scale and equating it to their self-worth. So if the number's up, their day is gone to crap, and if the number goes down, then they feel like they're on top of the world. So living and dying by the scale is a huge red flag that people have some body image challenges 
Also, their motivation for exercising is a huge one because I know, like myself personally, I felt like I had to earn my my calories, and that was a real big problem because I felt like if I didn't exercise two, three, sometimes four hours a day, I wasn't able to feed myself. And I also see a lot of women having worked in gyms for the better part of the last 21 years. I see a lot of women doing exercise they really don't like. So here they are, they have this goal, this be-all, end-all goal that they want to lose weight, they want to be skinny, they want to do all these things. And the process with which they're undertaking to get to that goal is miserable to them. They don't like high-intensity interval training. They don't like, and I'm not trying to bash cross it, I'm just saying in in these instances, some 55-year-old woman with bad shoulders and bad knees, she just doesn't like doing it. And they're doing all these exercising because they want to lose the weight. So if they can't embrace the process that they're engaged in, they're not going to be able to sustain that end result because you have to realize the joys in the journey. So here they are doing this push force high intensity stuff and they're hating it and they're pushing their body and they're punishing their body to try to get to this number. So I think that that's also an issue too is exercising for punishment as opposed to because it's good for my mental health and well-being and because it's good for my my metabolic health. I think that's like the most important thing. And then there's always the, you know, do you have Issues with height weight charts? Do you have body dysmorphia? Are you embarrassed by people asking you about what you're eating? Do you think of some foods as good and bad? Because when people label food as good or bad, they're basically saying, well, I'm good when I eat this, but I'm bad when I eat that. And that's a huge problem as well. So that's basically where I specialize. That's the area that I work in because that's what I can really identify with is the disordered eaters and the chronic dieters and the excessive exercisers. That was where I came from. Mm. In in leading uh, off of yeah. that, oh no, mm-hmm. go ahead. Do you have any something to add? I was just going to say that it's um it's very easy to slip from disordered eating into eating disordered behavior if you're not careful, because our self talk can take us there. We can just continue to say, "Well, I'm I'm fat, I'm fat, I'm fat," and the more we say that, the more we're going to believe it, whether we are or we're not. Mm-hmm. So I think it's really important to kind of start to be aware of how we talk to ourselves. Cindy and I talk a lot about treating ourselves with kindness and respect um, that we would treat our friends. And that's, you know, if we think about how we talk to our own our own psyche and our own self, we would never talk to our best friends the way we talk to ourselves. And so it's important to be aware of, of some of those aspects of it too, not just necessarily the food and the exercise, but about what goes on in our own brains. That's all I wanted to kind of add to that component. No, that's that is an excellent point. I've actually never thought of it that way. Um, but you know, even for myself, with I, you know, do tend to be very tough on myself, body image and all. And part of that is from competing. Um, but mm-hmm. I've never thought about that before. That's actually an excellent point. I need to practice that because I absolutely wouldn't say the things that I say to myself to a best friend. When I'm looking in the mirror, I'm like, I need to make improvements. So that's a fantastic point. Thank you for bringing that one up. Um, one of the things that we have on our Facebook page is called the Pearl of the Day. So basically come up with a one to three sentence quote that's eye-catching and it's handwritten. And the pearl that I had posted the other day kind of speaks to that, basically saying that we're hardest on ourselves than anyone else. If we talked mm-hmm. to our loved ones the way that we talk to ourselves, we would have no loved ones left. Mm. So true. 
<laughs> I have actually, and I urge people listening to check out their page because I've actually shared some of their posts that they're just talking about on my <laughs> Definitely check those out. They're very interesting. And then definitely, uh, you know, positive self-talk is, is an important thing and kind of starting yourself, your day off in a positive light. You know, if it takes going on Facebook and reading the positive posts, then whatever works for you. But kind of leading off the eating disorder topic, what do you guys see with people uh, taking fat burners and different crazy drugs on the market to try to lose weight? Mm. So I think um, I've always been a believer of a supplement is only good if your body is deficient in something. And I have to say that I did get involved in a multi-level marketing company several years ago because I really... I believed it at the time. I believed the products were really made the be-all, end-all of my existence, but I was also kind of blinded by the money, too, so it was kind of hard to say. But I think that, again, it's just like anything else. The culture wants you to think there's something wrong with you, so you buy what they're selling. And we have mm-hmm. this instant gratification mentality. If you want something, all you have to do is just drive through and get it. You want a cheeseburger? Drive through and get it. You want to make a deposit? Drive through and get it. If you're getting takeout at Applebee's, you need to get out of your car. We have curbside pickup. You can just sit in your car and we'll bring it out there. You know, so everything is so easy. And because of technology, everything is so accessible. So when it comes to really just doing the work, a lot of people just don't want to do the work because they don't think that they need to. And they're looking for the magic bullet. And there really is no magic bullet. The magic bullet is you eat when you're hungry, you stop when you're full, you move your body in ways that you enjoy. And I'm sure that there are some things out there that can marginally improve performance, but it's risk versus reward, really. Some of these things cost a lot of money. So you really have to be wary. If people are looking for supplements, honestly, I would suggest that they check out examine.com because that's a great resource scientifically sound, they're not biased, they don't endorse any companies, examine.com is a great resource to determine whether a supplement is worthy of, of trying or not. So that's what I would say. I mean, everybody's different. You know, you are an experiment of one. What works for you might not work for somebody else. But you have to really question why. Why do you think you need a supplement? That's just my two cents on it. Yeah. And there are a couple of supplements that I think are important to see if you're getting enough of things like iron, uh, vitamin D in the northeast because you don't get out in the sun much, um, and some of the B vitamins. I think some of those things, because you can get them in food, but if you're not eating quite the right um, types of foods because they don't necessarily uh, formulate in your diet, um, meaning your, your eating plan, then means there can be some supplementation there. And then also with today's society and how busy people are, uh, sometimes there is a need for uh, uh, maybe a, a protein shake of some sort so that you can have something that's quick and easy, accessible, that you can drink at your desk because you might not have time between uh, your meeting at one, at one time and something else at another time. So there are, I, I guess I, I think that sometimes there are places for supplements, but everybody is different and it depends on your lifestyle and it depends on um, the foods that you're you're taking in and what you're getting in your diet and what you're what you're doing for movement as well. So I guess it, it kind of depends on on everybody 
I, I agree, that, Anna. That, I didn't mean to vilify yeah. them earlier, no. but I think that it's just like anything else. It's like the dose makes the poison, right? So it's like, you know, too much or not enough. So I think it's just the man, the manner in which you pursue these things and just being curious about it. I think it's good to be curious and, and you know, just try things and see what works and what doesn't. And the whole protein thing, that is important because women in particular are usually protein deficient. So sometimes that's the only way they're going to get enough is by supplementing. So that's a good point. Mm. Yeah. I'm just seeing all these commercials lately with all, like, the, you know, the fat burners out there and, uh, you know, hydroxycut and all of these things. And I'll be honest, back in the day, I'm talking high school because I can't take anything now, uh, obviously competing in natural bodybuilding, and it's been years. But back when I was 16, 17, and my friends and I all trying these crazy things that make you, you know, you're sitting there and you're shaking because there's so much crap in them. Um, oh, and then yeah. thinking mm-hmm. like that we yep. need that. I mean, it, it's awful. And I see kids doing it now. I'm like, no, don't, don't go that way. But it's just society, um, yeah. you know, making you feel. And, I, and then, you know, the commercials and it's like, oh, I don't need to diet. I'll just pop these pills and everything will be okay. And that's not the way it works. And, and then if it does work, once you get off of them, you know, your body's relatively going to go right back to where it was if you keep up the same eating patterns. So um, Exactly. It's a hard lesson to learn unless unless you're educated a little bit along those lines. And sometimes, uh, you know, where does that education take place? How can we get that get that um, into the school systems or or into the communities or something so that yeah. they understand that that these can be more harm than good. Mm-hmm. So, oh, very um, harmful, they, especially for kids yeah. that are not fully developed yet. I mean, it's even worse. Exactly. But mm-hmm. what do you, um, we touch a lot, and we all, I feel like we always speak, when we're talking about eating disorders, we relate it to women. Mm-hmm. Do you guys have male clients, and have you seen, you know, like any sort of trends in, in the male population with eating disorders? Um, actually, this is an interesting question that you asked, and I'm so glad that you asked it, because I have actually had a few males reach out to me privately via our Love Your Body Project, Peace, Love, and Food Facebook page and issue. But getting back to those statistics that I was referencing earlier, there's an estimated 10 to 15 percent of people with anorexia or bulimia that are male, but because the perception is that it's a woman disease, they're less likely to seek treatment. So it's hard to know if those numbers are really true or not. And there is also an interesting statistic about among gay men, nearly 14% appear to suffer from bulimia and over 20% appear to be anorexic. And I have had some people that have had issues with their sexuality and also issues with eating disorders. I think that they're very closely linked. I think that's that's a huge burden to carry around, you know, the, the fear that you're not going to be accepted, the fear that you're different, the fear that people aren't going to understand you, and that could manifest in other ways trying to control your life, trying to control your body, trying to control what you're eating. And I think also, too, even though I thoroughly enjoy them, the advent of all the superhero movies with Marvel and DC Comics and Superman and the Avengers, you've got these jacked, jacked people. And I think guys are looking at that going, hmm, I wish I could look like that guy. I wish I looked like that guy. So it's not just a woman's issue. It's just a male issue, too. It affects men more than you think. Absolutely, Cindy. I think you're so right. And I think that you're right about the fact that they don't step forward because the stipulation is that it is a woman's disease. And then if you look at men's magazines, it's just as bad as women's with the physiques. So now 
whether it's the anorexic or bulimia, it also can, can turn to this muscle dysmorphia where they have to look a certain way. So they're getting into the gym, doing certain things to look like the, the images on the magazines, and it's more muscle-based versus skinny-based, like for women. So there's that whole other realm of things, and it's a healthy outlet, so why isn't it fine? So there's that whole piece, too, for men, I think. Yeah, um, and I think another point on that, Todd, going back to the teenagers, is that, um, the you know, girls are dealing with it, but I think teenage boys are dealing with it as well with exactly what you said, the feeling of needing to get big, get muscular. Mm-hmm. And I think it's mm-hmm. hitting them, too, because I see it in my stepson. I don't, he's not unhealthy by any means, and, he and you know, he works out because he plays sports and he sees us working out. So he's working out, and I think it's all positive. But, you know, they're looking on their Instagram pages <laughs> with all mm-hmm. the superheroes and things, and they're getting it as well. Um, right. So it's, it's really not just the teenage girls that are getting bombarded with it on social media. The guys are getting bombarded with it too. So it's kind of this unrealistic expectations from both males and females, especially in the young crowds of, like, this is what someone's supposed to look like. Or, yeah. you, know, you know, teenage girl, oh, these guys are so hot, so then the boys want to look like that. And there's nothing wrong with being fit and healthy. I think that's fantastic, mm-hmm. but you have to keep it in perspective of what's healthy. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Right. So let's um, touch on a couple more topics here. Where do I want to go here? We've covered so much this show. You guys are fantastic. I love everything. <laughs> so good with answering all my questions. I lay out questions before the shows. It's for people who don't know. And uh, for the first time in the history of any show that I've done, we have hit almost every single question on my list in under, you know, an hour. So that's been great. Are there any subjects that you guys want to talk about that we haven't discussed yet? Well, I mean, do you want to talk it, a little bit about athletes and fuel and fuel for athletes? Um, you know, speaking from the marathons and and some of the things that that you kind of need to do in order to prepare and to to make sure that your energy level is up. Yeah, I think that's probably a good idea. I think, um, and I think too, um, Anne and I have been together <laughs> as as you know for a while. And she was my mentor in group exercise because she was my boss once upon a time, and I really kind of looked up to her, and she was, you know, had her stuff together, and she really helped me out. She helped me be a better instructor. And then I was able to return the favor when she decided she was going to run her first half marathon. And I had already done, you know, a bunch of those, and I had just come off my third Boston, I think. And she was going to do a half marathon like the week after Boston. So I'm like, this is how much I love you. I'm going to run. I know, I know. With you the whole time. Run with me. (laughs) I'm going to do the half marathon with you a week after I run Boston. And Uh, we got you there in like two hours and change, which is great. But what was interesting, because this was in the early part of both of our journeys, I remember Anne was really sick. She didn't feel well. And she didn't quite connect the dots. But later on, she realized that she, you didn't eat that when you ran the race. No. 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 No, you didn't. No. So I didn't fuel we were, properly. I didn't hydrate properly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And and she was and her body paid for it because I I really yes. think and this analogy has been used so many flipping times, but it's like your car will not go if it doesn't have gasoline in it. And I know again, yeah, cliche, but it's it's the truth. And I also want to emphasize this very important point. I really believe, and I did not create this quote. I am using it from someone else. 
I really believe that our bodies are meant to be instruments. They're not meant to be ornaments. They're meant to perform. Mm -hmm. They're meant to do wonderful things. And they're going to be a reflection of what we put in them. I get that, too. But at the same time, I think celebrating what we can do instead of just Mm. obsessing about how we look, there's something to that. There's a certain wisdom in that. And I think, too, with athletics, it can be really scary because with, with female athletes in particular, there's a huge, huge pressure to, if I get smaller, if I'm smaller, if I'm smaller, you hear it all the time, particularly with mm-hmm. runners. If I lose weight, every pound I lose, I'm going to take five seconds off my pace. And, again, it's a very slippery slope if you're not in a good headspace. So it is really right. important for athletes to realize that your body is an instrument. You need it to perform at a high level, and if you don't give it proper nutrition, it's not going to. So right. that is a huge issue. I mean, I know a girl at the age of 27, she had to go on osteoporosis medication because she ran herself into the ground. She had three stress fractures in her pelvis. She destroyed mm. the body because she was running 50 miles a week and she was subsisting on 1,700 calories a day. Mm. That's not good. Right. So, yeah, right. it, is a, it is an issue. You know, the whole female athlete triad, that's, that's a huge right. thing too. So y- if you want to perform at a high level, you need to remember your body is an instrument and you need to make sure that it's working properly. Right. It has the fuel and it has the rest. I think that there's a, sometimes we we forget that we need to sleep or we need to rest. And a lot of, um, well, Linda, you probably know with, with conditioning too, and Cindy and I have talked about this, that without the rest, you don't really make the gains. The gains come at the rest phase. They don't necessarily come in the gym. Mm-hmm. So um, I always find it fascinating. I read some research on Hillary Swank when she did a million-dollar baby and when she mm-hmm. was training for that, she was training, you know, uh, I believe, four to six hours a day. But she found her best performance when she got ten hours of sleep at night. Not eight, wow. not seven, not nine, but ten. That's wow. where she needed to be. And she also needed to intake 200 grams of protein. So for that period of time, and that's, you know, it's a season. It's just like bodybuilding or, or any sports season. It's a season of training. So for that season, she needed to have a high level of protein and she needed a high level of rest and a high level of training. But that was the only way she could sustain is to have those three three things together in unison or else she wouldn't have been able to perform. So I think it's really important to talk about making sure you're fueling um, and resting in order to make the best performance. And sometimes that's a guessing game. You have to play with it a little bit depending on what you're doing. So. Yeah, yep. eating to perform. I'm slowly getting myself out of bodybuilding because my body needs a rest, and I, and I know this at this point, but I've started doing really getting into Spartan races hardcore, and I've started CrossFit and still new to CrossFit, but um, doing it on a bodybuilding diet is, is not flying anymore. So mm, I, yeah. I definitely understand, you know, I'm burning both ends of the candle here, and I need to pick which way I want to go, and, you know, eating to perform and to sustain these workouts is, is kind of what I want to go with. But on, on what you were just talking about as well, it can be tough on those rest days for people that have that mentality of calories in versus calories out. Like I need mm. to work work out to earn my food so when you're having a rest day and you're not working out that day to feel okay with eating those calories because I've been there before, especially years ago. Where I was like, well, I can't mm. take a day off because how am I going to go eat that, you know, 400 calorie meal if I haven't worked any of it off today? You know, yeah, so right. it is, but it's definitely important to have those rest days. That's a great point. 
Um, and what you were saying, Melinda, earlier about how you log your food and it's just it's so automatic for you to log your food, there yep. are times still in my own head because I was, again, a cereal diet or yo-yo diet or chronic diet or I had food counts memorized, I had portion sizes memorized, and I can still do mental accounting. Even though I don't, yeah. I'm not trying to. It's almost like it's mm. an automatic thing because I did it for so long. I do it without even realizing it. I, I add up calories in my head without even trying to because it was just so ingrained for many years. So I get it, exactly what you're saying. Mm. Yeah, it's, very true. it's a. Yeah. I don't know if I'll ever. <laughs> and it doesn't stop <laughs> me from you know going off the bandwagon on Thanksgiving or Christmas or eating twelve cookies at Christmas, but I write it down. You know, so it's right. it's like a constant a constant thing. So I just I I need to personally be mindful of that to make sure it's, mm. you know I'm just doing it because I'm doing it and I'm not doing it because I'm like all right now I got to go run 12 miles tomorrow to burn that off. But um, yeah. kind of as we're shooting here to the end, um, what are let's touch on maybe future plans for Love Your Body Project or where you think you guys are going in the future with it, um, and then any any ending statements you guys want to make to the listeners out there. Well, I think that we are going to continue reaching out to people. Obviously, people are finding us, you know, asking for individual coaching via phone or Skype. And, you know, word of mouth is obviously a huge advertiser for us. But Ann and I also, what we were talking about earlier, getting them while they're, while they're young, I think that's really important. And we've been designing a presentation geared specifically toward those preteen girls and those teenage girls. So we're hoping to kind of get that out in, like, you know, late February, early March of next year. But we just really want to be the change. We want a paradigm shift. We want a paradigm shift in how people think about their bodies, how people think about food. And we Mm. also want to help be a paradigm shift in the fitness industry because this is one thing that we really didn't discuss too much, and I'm not going to get too in-depth. But the fitness industry is broken, and it caters to 5% Mm. of the population. And we need to find a way to make fitness accessible and approachable for everyone. And unfortunately, when we're showcasing these inspiration pictures and these photoshopped images and we're focusing on aesthetics, aesthetics, aesthetics all the time, we are alienating the people that need the gym the most and that is a real tragedy. So we're really working on trying to meet people where they are and just help them live better. I think that's really the biggest thing. How right. about you, Ann? Yeah, that's, an, Cindy, that's, it. that's excellent. That's just exactly what we're trying to do is trying to really – We've compared ourselves and judged ourselves for 20, 30 years, and it's time to to take that out of the picture um, and to let people come into the gym and be okay where they're at. And that's um, that's really what we want because the people that need to move aren't moving because they're too intimidated to come into the gym, and the people that are in the gym are moving maybe too much. <laughs> so we want to shift that a little bit. Um, but we are also, Cindy and I are hosting a live presentation late in February. We don't have a place and date quite yet um, pinned down. We'll be hosting a live presentation somewhere in the area so you can keep posted on the Facebook page and website for that uh, to get out and to the public and to talk a little bit about what we're trying to do. And We've talked about uh, offering a 90-minute breakthrough session for anybody that's listening that would like to take part of our three-point, three-part approach of food and exercise and body image for $99. If anybody's interested in doing that, they can just mention the radio show. And Sydney and I would love to 
speak to you and try to bridge that gap um, and get you feeling good about yourselves and understanding how to eat for fuel and performance and how to move to enjoy it and have fun with it as opposed to because you ate something that you shouldn't have or being good or bad versus just eating for for enjoyment and celebration. Right, Cindy? <laughs> exactly. Yes, indeed. Mm-hmm. So. so when we uh, get off this show, which is only four more minutes, I'm going to go ahead and post um, all of their information, uh, including their website and, and ways to contact them on my fitness page, and I'll post it on my regular Facebook page. I'll post it on Instagram. We'll go for Twitter. We'll just hit everything. Um, but my my Facebook page is facebook.com backslash mc87. Uh, my regular Facebook page, I can't accept any more friends. So if you're already friends with me, you know how to find me. Um, <laughs> so I will post all of their information so that if you're listening or listening later and you missed how to contact them, we'll go ahead and get all that information out there for them. Um, but I want to thank both of you for coming on. I was, I was super excited to have you. Um, my goal for doing this show is to kind of hit all different types of realms. Um, and this is the first time that I've had, like, certified eating specialists and everything on the show, and it's different, and I want to try to do something different every week because I want to promote, you know, healthy living, healthy lifestyle, and show that there's, like, so many ways out there to be healthy and enjoy your life and enjoy what you're doing, and body image is a huge part of that. So thank you guys both for coming on. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you very thank much you for very having much, me. Great. Thank you. Mm. All right. We are done for the night. Thank uh, thank you, everyone, for tuning in to Fit Talk. I will have another show. It will be November 19th. It is a CrossFit-based show. Uh, there's a lot to talk about there, so keep tuned to my Facebook pages for all the updates on that show. It is going to be November 19th at 8 o'clock. We have three awesome people that are going to be on there, CrossFit coaches, um, and level one certified CrossFit trainers. Uh, two of them are gym owners, so it's going to be a great show to hit another realm of fitness that I haven't hit yet. So, again, thank Anne and Cindy for being on, and I will see you guys all next time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.